Hey, Second More View and friends, please open your Bibles today to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be at the very end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Did you know that Matthew was the early church's favorite book in the Bible? It was a favorite book in the New Testament. It was the most quoted, the most researched, the most recited, the most preached, the most studied. The, the Gospel of Matthew was their favorite. And I know this may disappoint some of you who thought that maybe Jude was the early church's favorite or second or third John or, or the book of Acts. Matthew was the early church's favorite book. And, and we know this from historians. So open your Bibles to Matthew 28. We're in a series right now that we've called Paths, and, and I've talked about this the last couple of weeks, that we believe there is one path to God. It is a path through Jesus, but there are a lot of paths of how we get to live out life with God. And, and one thing I talked about a couple of weeks ago is there are a lot of paths in life, paths of marriage or occupation or where we're going to live, that we get to make choices. And then there are times where paths find us. We end up being on a path we never asked for, we never signed up for. It could be a path of cancer, a path of someone in your family passing away suddenly or unexpectedly. It could be a path like COVID-19. We didn't ask for it, but here we are on this path. So I want to take us today to a place in the Bible that's one of the most recited, remembered, preached about. There are banners hanging in churches about what we call the Great Commission. It's at the very end of Matthew chapter 28. And in the Great Commission, it comes to people, and I think this is so important right now, and here's why I wanted to spend a little time on this last week and this morning, that the Great Commission was given to people who were living in a time where they could be certain about how the story of God was going to end. It was eternal. God's going to win, but there was a lot of uncertainty about what life was going to look like for them right then. And the Great Commission was given to people who they weren't exactly sure what jobs may look like if they choose to follow Jesus, what their family systems may look like, but there was a call, hey, here is a different way to live now. And I think this is so good for us to remember what, what have we signed on to? What does our baptisms mean? What do, they, what do they mean? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus when we aren't really sure when the finish line's going to be there? When's COVID-19 going to be over? But there's a God to be faithful to right now. Here's what matters every day. Every single day right now, we have choices to make. And every single day, based on choices we make, it is forming and shaping our character, whether good or bad. There are choices to make, characters being formed. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 it says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This hangs, this is, this is on some banners inside and outside of churches. Most people have been in the church for just a little while, even a few months. You've probably heard people recite it, pray it as we, as we end our worship services. Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, I thought about this some over the last 15 to 20 years. Because if you were to research today and go to a lot of churches or you open up a phone book, those things we used to use to find numbers for places, and you go and you see how churches advertise themselves, a lot of times the language we use is about coming to our church. Come and join us. Come be a part of our worship services. And there's a difference between the word come and the word go about coming to God and going for God. Jesus talks about both in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus talks about come to me all who are weary. And here in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, Jesus gives a commission to his community, go into the world. Now the early church didn't seem to like, had, they, they didn't spend time wrestling with, well, do we come to God or do we go for God? They knew it was both. This is what we do. We come to God, we invite people to God, and we go into the world. The, the story of my life, 
that brought the Great Commission to life for me was it was a time right before I moved to Memphis Casey and I were living down in Houston we were serving a church that we dearly love we love these people these people taught us so much about passion for the gospel and what it means to live for a community and for a city and I was sitting in an elders meeting one day and we were about to throw this barbecue that we had thrown for years where we invited our neighbors. This was a church surrounded by a few apartment complexes and the, church, the, the apartment complexes around where our church was located were lower income apartment complexes. And we would invite people to come to our church and, and we were going to have food and, and uh, drinks and fam uh, f fun for the family. So we would send out flyers and we would knock on doors and we would invite people. And we just had a few years where like nobody was coming. We're like, what do we do? Should we still throw this party or not? And I remember I was in an elders meeting. I said, guys, what if we do something different this time? What if instead of inviting our neighbors to come to us, what if we go to our neighbors? What if we go and ask permission to enter into the courtyard of an apartment complex and throw a barbecue there? And my elders looked at me, and I'll never forget it. They looked at me, and they're like, it sounds like something Jesus may do. Maybe we should try that. So the next day, me and another minister, we went and we sat down in the office of the manager of this apartment complex across the street from the church. We sat down with her and we said, here's what we would like to do. Can we come over here on a Sunday afternoon, late in the afternoon, early evening? Can we come for a couple of hours and bring, bring uh, some grills and can we just make some hot dogs and hamburgers and have some sodas? And, and we said the reason why is because Jesus tells us that we're supposed to love God and love our neighbors. And we have to confess today, we don't even know the names of our neighbors. We don't know who they are. So can we come and just, just hang out? And I expected this manager to respond to me by saying, what's your agenda? Are you going to hand out tracts? Are you going to have a worship service and call people to repent, believe in God right there? And I was expecting that. Her response was, I think it's a great idea. In fact, I'll provide the sodas for you. And then she said this. She said, but can I make one request? She said the busiest, the, the, the drinking time, if there's a 24-hour window here in our place where people drink the most, it's from Saturday night to Sunday night. So could you come any other time during the week? And we sat there for a moment and I said, man, I know what you're saying, but if you're okay with it, we're going to go ahead and we're going to come on a Sunday afternoon. And we'll just trust our people that if a lot of beverages are tossed in front of their face, they'll make some wise decisions and they'll be responsible. So, so for a few weeks, we kind of prepped our church for this. We we're going to go and have a barbecue in the apartment complex across the street from the church. And, and, but we made, we made two rules for this. Rule number one was we're not going to this place to hang out with, with our church people. We're not going there to hang out with people from our church. We're going there to hang out with neighbors. So if you want to just hang out with people from our church, we'd encourage you to go to Chili's, go to a restaurant, go hang out in the home. Don't go to this barbecue. And number two is this. If you bring a lawn chair to sit in, bring another lawn chair for a neighbor. If you bring one, you got to bring another one for a neighbor to sit in. Those are the only two rules we made. And then the afternoon came. We had prayed about this for a few weeks. We had set it up. We had all the food prepared. The afternoon came for us to go have this barbecue. And we parked in, our, in the church parking lot. And most of us started walking across the street to enter into this apartment complex and into the courtyard there in the middle. And, and now this church that we were a part of was a church where there were a lot of people over the age of 60 and under the age of 30. There was this gap between the age 30 and the age 60. And most of us were white. And the apartment complex was almost all people under the age of 40 and almost all minorities, African Americans and Latinos. 
So as we entered into this apartment complex, into this courtyard, I guarantee people in that apartment complex had never seen more gray-haired white people in their entire lives. And we joked that it almost felt like the field of dreams because there were a lot of different entryways into that courtyard and we had old white people carrying lawn chairs just entering into all these little walkways and crevices entering into this courtyard and we set up and we start grilling and there's sodas there and hardly any neighbors were coming. And it was really cool because over a 30 minute period you saw neighbors who were kind of peeking out their blinds and the neighbors who would crack a door and they would look outside and the neighbors who would step out on their porch and about 30 minutes in, I know no other way to describe this, but it was like the kingdom of God fell. And for a couple of hours, hundreds of us just gathered in a courtyard where you had people mingling and talking and get to know each other and you had people who couldn't speak English who somehow were having conversations with people who couldn't speak Spanish. I mean it was like the kingdom of God fell and there were no baptisms that night but the neighborhood and our connection to the neighborhood began to change because we knew names and we knew faces and we knew some of their stories. I shared this story when I was preaching in Houston uh, a few years ago and someone from that church came up to me afterwards and they said, you, I remember that barbecue and I just wanted you to know that we still do that every year. And here's the best lesson we learned that night. And this has stuck with me. Is that the church is often at its best when we give up home field advantage and we go play out kingdom life in the world. The church is often at its best when we take seriously what it means to go into the world, to go play out kingdom life, to see what God is up to when we enter into the territory of our neighbors and our friends and our communities all around us. Now, to make a point and to emphasize and to try to highlight what it means to go into the world, like some people want to talk about, okay, we don't need church buildings anymore. We just need to go fulfill the Great Commission. And I don't think you have to diminish or minimize church buildings to, to, in order to emphasize the beauty and power of the Great Commission. You need both. And right now we're learning and we're discovering that the mission of the church goes on whether the church building is open or not. We can't wait until this place is filled with people again. We can't wait, but right now we know the mission of God goes on no matter what. And Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go into the world, make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus isn't the only one who had a great commission. In that same time, the Roman Empire had a great commission too. Jesus had a mission that was going to be global and worldwide. The Roman Empire had a mission that was going to be global and worldwide. Jesus had a mission that was supposed to spread to the entire earth, to all people, all nations. The Roman Empire had a, had a vision and a mission to spread to the entire world, all nations. And the Roman Empire, it was this agenda that you could hear it, they taught about it, it was recited. You could see it articulated on coins and poems and forms of art all over the Roman Empire. People knew there is a mission for us. Rome wanted to dominate the world, it wanted, they wanted to spread. One of the first emperors of Rome said this, listen to this, go and declare to the Romans the will of heaven. This was their great commission for the Roman Empire. Go and declare to the Romans the will of heaven that my Rome shall be the capital of the world. So let them cherish the art of war and let them know and teach their children that no human strength can resist Roman arms. Go and declare to the Romans the will of heaven. The mission of Rome and the mission of Jesus. 
both were global and worldwide. The mission of Rome and the mission of Jesus asked for full allegiance. Not to put one foot in one, one door and one foot in another. You can't, have two, you can't have a foot in both worlds. It's full allegiance. But one of those kingdoms was going to be eternal. And one of those kingdoms was only going to last a few hundred years. One of those kingdoms still has a king who is alive and breathing and working and engaging and super connected to the mission. The other kingdom had kings and emperors who lived a life and died and are now in graves. One kingdom's eternal and it lasts forever. Another kingdom lasts a few hundred years and that was it. One of those great commissions continues to this day as this message continues 2,000 years later to spread and to perform all over the world. So let's walk through this because the Great Commission isn't just Matthew 28, 19 of go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I want to go all the way back to verse 16. I want, you to help, I want you to take a few notes and let's just go verse by verse and let me highlight a few things for you. In Matthew 28, 16 it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. So in Matthew's story, when Jesus is going to meet with his people before Jesus ascends into the heavens, Galilee is where he goes. Not Jerusalem. It's going to end up being in Jerusalem, but right now it's, it's Galilee, a place, a small little place with really no major significance because this is how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God often works in ways the world would never imagine, performs in places that may not have large microphones and platforms. It's a little place of Galilee. This is where Jesus is going to meet with them. And now trust me on this, okay, in verse 16, because in the, in the Greek, what it's saying here is it's not just like this fellowship that's happening. Happening. Like they're just going to hang out with Jesus on a mountain. The literal, like if you want to take this literally, what it means is something like this. And the eleven went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus laid down the rules for them. This wasn't just a meeting. This wasn't just fellowship time. They knew that they're going somewhere where something's about to happen. There's a, a mission's about to be explained. Jesus is about to hand down rules because a lot of times when Jesus taught in the Gospel of Matthew, this is what Jesus would do. In verse 17, it says this, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They worshipped him, but some doubted. This community, called by God, they were called by God with their doubts and their confusion and their insecurities and their inadequacies because the way the kingdom of God works, the way our God works, is, is it's not that our God is waiting for people to become perfect so that God can then use them. It's not that God is waiting for his people to clothe themselves in certainty in order to use them for the kingdom. It's not that God is waiting for people to ace or to get a hundred on the kingdom standardized tests. It's that God is using people who have just a little bit of a desire to step into what God's about. And all their doubts, their insecurities, their inadequacies, God can use us all. He didn't separate the doubters from the worshipers. Jesus is going to commission them all. In, verse in chapter 29, verse 18, the very next verse, what it says is, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Now, there was a moment earlier in the Gospel of Matthew when someone else looked at Jesus and said, Hey, all you have to do, if you want all the authority over all the earth, is you just have to bow down to me. It was Satan. It was the enemy who said that to Jesus. And Jesus denied Satan's offer. Wasn't going to entertain it. 
But because of Jesus' obedience and going all the way to the cross, because of what Jesus accomplished through death, burial, and resurrection, what it says is all authority, like God has given to Jesus all authority on heaven and earth, which meant Jesus could do with that authority whatever Jesus wanted to do with that authority. And what Jesus chose to do is to empower people, to empower, to, to empower humans. Jesus could have set up that kingdom to function however it is he wanted it to function, what Jesus chose to do is he's going to ask human beings to be his agents. Not to be mannequins who were just dressed up to reflect God, but to be living, breathing agents of God in all their failures and all their inadequacies. So a lot of times in my ministry, what I want to convince people of, it's not just that God wants people to believe in God. It's that God wants people to believe that God believes in people. God believes in humanity. And since the very beginning, God desires this partnership. It's how the heart of God works. It's how the mission of Jesus works. And this is what Jesus did. All authority has been given to me, and here's what I'm going to do with it. I'm looking to you, my community. In verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then he continues about baptizing them and teaching them. The direct object in the Great Commission is making disciples. So everything in the Great Commission is pointing to disciple making. We go into the world to make disciples. We baptize to make disciples. We teach to make disciples. That's what, it, what's, what it's about. Jesus doesn't say go into the world to make converts. As important as it is to make converts. It's you make converts so that you can make disciples of Jesus. It's not that you just try to convince people to make a once-in-a-lifetime decision for Jesus. As important as that is, is that you are inviting them into a whole new way of life where our allegiance and everything we have, everything we are, is being given over to Jesus. So here are four quick things to take home about discipleship. And we can make a whole list of them. Here's four. Four things discipleship involves. Number one, discipleship involves God. Discipleship involves our source of salvation, our source of redemption. Discipleship lets us know there's a God who doesn't just hover over everything, but a God who in and through Jesus is here in the midst of everything. It involves a God who saves and a God who wants to use everything God saves. Discipleship involves people. It involves individuals. There are choices to make. There's an identity to be embraced. At some point, if you want to be involved in discipleship, you have got to surrender your life to Jesus, confess full allegiance to Jesus, to be baptized into Christ and to see this isn't, this isn't just about status change. This isn't just going from unsaved to saved or lost to found. It's that I want to follow, I want to give my life to following Jesus. Number three, it involves community. It involves the church. It involves the empowered people of God. Not that we all have to look like one another, but in all of our differences, we unite around a common mission. It's the church united for a purpose. So discipleship involves God. Discipleship involves individual decisions that we have to make. Discipleship involves the community. God calls out the community, not just individual people. And fourthly, it involves a mission. A mission that's supposed to go to the entire world. And that mission begins right there in your home. Right there in your community. And I've loved over the last few weeks hearing and seeing stories of how this is playing out in so many of your lives. 
I see it played out every week in the life of this church as our food pantry is filled up and to see the people who, who take in folks who are in need on Thursdays, not just to give them food, but as they spiritually nurture and tend to people in our community. I see this in the way many of you are providing meals, some for those who are in need, but a lot of times just for those who are in need of encouragement. I see it in the way many of you are serving others and trying to get creative in what it means to serve and writing notes and trying to tend to neighbors and dropping off paper towels and I also hear about hear these stories and see it in many of you as you are inviting people who may not know much about God or maybe they've been away from the church for a while that in this season you're inviting them into a better story. The beauty of discipleship isn't just that Jesus is calling us to be kind people or to be tolerant people in the world. It's that Jesus is calling us to be people who serve and that we, we are kind because there is a story to tell. There's a story to, to invite other people into. And even when we aren't sure and we're not certain where that finish line is, we wake up every day knowing right now in this day, there's a God who loves and there's a God who serves. So what does love require of me today? A while back, my dad's been in preaching now over 30 years. And I had a period there of about 10 years where my dad and I would communicate every Sunday. It's got a, gotten a little more difficult over the years, but every Sunday morning we would communicate. I would call my dad in the morning. I would tell my dad that I was praying for him. I would ask what he was about to preach about. And then Sunday afternoons, part of my rhythm is, I would call my mom to get details of how Sunday morning went. My mom is a woman of great details. My da dad is not. And I'll never forget this one afternoon. I called to hear about how church went that morning. And as I called, my mom began to cry. And my mom said, you'll never believe what happened. And then my mom told me a story. It was the day that their youth ministry, they were, uh, they were raising money and funds for all their youth events that summer. And we, we do this here at Sycamore View. We have uh, different, uh, like a fiesta that raises money for mission trips and auctions to, to do that as well. And, and this day what they did is they actually auctioned off their teenagers. So a teenager would stand up at a microphone in front of the church and the teenager would say, hey, I'm good for doing lawn work or I'm good for babysitting or cleaning house. And the people would bid on them and then that money would go to support church camps and mission trips. And it was just a really fun time. I mean, most kids were going for a few hundred dollars. And then after every kid went who could go to church camp and work camp and mission trip, this one girl started making her way down the aisle to the microphone. And she was a young girl, a teenage girl, who would not be able to go to church camp or mission trip. She was a 14-year-old girl with Down syndrome. And she saw that all the other kids went and she wanted to turn to. So she stepped up at the mic. People didn't know what she was going to say. Because this is a girl who couldn't step at the mic, step up at that mic and say some of the same, she couldn't do some of the same things some of those other teenagers stepped up and said they could do. And she stepped up in front of the microphone and she began to sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know. And they say she got a couple of lines in and forgot the lyrics. And the youth minister went and knelt down beside her and together they finished the song, Jesus Loves Me. And the first bid for that girl went for $500. And I think what most people in that church realized that day is that that girl, who some people may think she didn't have much to offer to the world, became the most powerful minister and agent of God in the life of that church. Because she had one shot. Where that day she stepped up at a microphone and, and the 
only thing she could think that could come out of her in that moment was a song about the love of Jesus and how much Jesus loves people. So what's going to be the song of your life this week? What do you want people to remember you by? Because how we allow our character to be formed, especially while going through a crisis, is going to prepare other people and equip other people to make it through a future crisis too. So as we transition to communion, I want to leave you with this this morning. If you feel the urge or the tug of God to make some kind of faith decision in your life, whether it's wanting to grow closer to God or whether you've never made a confession before, maybe you've never been baptized into Christ, we have a help form that lives on our website. And you can go there and, and, and there are different boxes you can check. And some of those boxes are for prayer requests or that you want to know more about God or you want to be baptized. Even in this time of social distancing, there are ways to be baptized into Christ. And if that's something you would like to do, we would love to talk to you about that. You could even put a reply. You could put a response right now in that Facebook private message that will go to us and we would love to respond to you and interact with you in some way. One, one thing, one story I remember about the early church is a lot of times they would meet in their homes for church and they would take communion every Sunday. They would take the bread. They would take the cup. They would remember what Jesus did on the cross. They would reflect on what that meant for them. And then when they finished their worship services, whatever was left over at communion didn't go in the trash can. It would leave the house. And that communion would go to shut-ins and the widows and to the sick and to the needy. Communion never went in the trash. Communion would leave the house to go to bless the world. And today as we take the bread and the cup, I want you to reflect on that. Reflect on what Jesus has done and be reminded that this story we have been given isn't supposed to stay in the house. It leaves the house too. And today and this week, in and through us, how is God using us as agents to bless the world? Will you close your eyes and bow your heads? And let's pray together. God, I pray again today. That if any word came out of my mouth that doesn't honor your heart, your mission, your character, your nature, may it fall to the ground and not be remembered at all. But if it has honored who you are, may it be a word that sinks deep into us, that invites us into deeper places in your heart, and that compels us to be a certain kind of people this week as we go about our lives. And right now as we take this bread and this cup, May the, may the beauty and the wonder of Jesus be in front of our eyes, in our minds, on our hearts to remind us of how committed you are and how you are inviting us today to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. I lift this up in the power of your name. Amen.